Yeah, for example, maximum intent to move the bar. Sometimes you can vary speeds too. Also, is something I learned from Charles. Sometimes you want to go slow with the bar. It, for athletes, it's, it's not very, very often. But for example, I did it with Kevin. Like we did um, snatch grip deadlifts uh, with with a slow concentric at first because I really wanted to stress his um, his spine, his extension. Because you know, in the start, uh, his legs would override his spine, and that would that would cause him to just shoot up. Because he could he couldn't hold he couldn't hold the position the low position because his spine wasn't strong enough for example that was one of the early early work so for example I wanted to stress it right so you know I give him a five second concentric for a little while then of course we changed that was French physical preparation coach Jerome Simeon talking about his work with heptathlete Kevin Mayer and some of the methods that he was utilizing to help attack Kevin's weaknesses in their training together. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Simply Faster. Simply Faster is an online athletic performance technology shop distributing items such as the free lap timing system, gym aware, K-Box, 1080 Sprint, and the Speed Mat. I've gotten many of these items from Simply Faster and can confidently say that they make today's best training technology available to everybody. The free lap timing system has revolutionized both my practices and my athlete assessments, allowing me to look at the 10 meter fly capability of dozens of athletes in a matter of seconds. It is wireless, compact, portable, and incredibly versatile. The K-Box and 1080 Sprint are fantastic tools for any coach looking to build speed, agility, and implement training scenarios that go beyond the traditional weight room. The 1080 Sprint is being used by great coaches training some of the fastest sprinters in the world, and it truly represents high-performance speed training. I can personally attest that Simply Faster's customer service is second to none. Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. Welcome to episode 92 of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Smith. And today on the show, we have French physical preparation coach, Jerome Simeon. Uh, Jerome, I'm excited to have him. I've heard or known of him for some time. I Actually, I... I think the first time that I read anything associated with him was on Charles Poliquin's site, uh, strengthsensei.com, and he had written an article, and there was a link to his website, and I, I went, clicked on it, checked out his stuff, and I was like, whoa, this guy is doing a lot of Jay Schrader stuff, a lot of rapid tension, catch, and release, and extreme isos, and uh, muscle, the muscle stimulation work, and I was like, I'm always intrigued by that stuff, because there's really no definitive resource that you can look a lot of that those things up it's it's kind of difficult to determine and and figure out and, and understand sometimes and so any any time i can get a coach who has that wealth of information and that experience i'm always very happy to talk to them uh not it wasn't really only uh the articles i've read or the things i've seen on jerome he'd come highly recommended through other high level coaches he's doing awesome work if you're familiar with the sport of track and field, he's worked with a number of very high-level athletes. His uh, Those of whom he has worked with or served as a physical prep coach have gained 22 major championship medals in track and field, as well as a European record in the men's uh, heptathlon. That's Kevin Mayer. 
Kevin's a guy who had improved his speed a lot through his early and to his mid-20s, which is really something that you don't tend to see a lot. A lot of times you see athletes peak early in their 20s or whatnot, and maybe they get stronger, maybe they throw things farther. Um, speed is definitely not the easiest thing to train. Jerome has shown that he has been a force in producing results, um, and we're going to chat pretty extensively on his training methods that get those results today. He's had some of the best mentors in the game, uh, Charles Poliquin, Jay Schrader, and he just has a really unique blend and an awesome way of looking at training and the holistic picture of what it means to make athletes better. So um, the industry is definitely learning that getting stronger does not mean that you automatically get faster or jump higher, especially at a particular point, uh, up to a certain point, the general strength is important. But once you reach a particular level, they kind of you kind of part ways uh, in a sense. And I think uh, it's at that point where athletes are, you know, maybe they're a double bodyweight back squat or, or whatnot in a certain level in the cleans. And a lot of coaches were like, well, I don't know where else to go, so I'm just going to keep getting this athlete stronger, uh, pushing barbell maxes. Um, but I always love listening to uh, coaches like Jerome talk just because it gives you so many other ideas and options and things to look at and where to go uh, in the entire process. And obviously, I'm, I'm always a fan of getting athletes strong. I know Jerome is too. Uh, but just looking at the barbell as one tool of many. And so uh, <clears throat> on today's podcast, Jerome talks about his mentors, the construction of his training philosophy. He talks a lot about, about fixing weak links in athletes uh, a little bit of neurology uh, and intention-based movement. I don't think you can really talk about Jay Schrader's work without talking about neurology. Uh, and also, uh, we're going to get in a little bit about what Jerome's training sessions look like and how he's taken on uh, the work of his mentors into his own training program. So this was a really cool episode. Uh, not only did I enjoy talking to Jerome and recording it, uh, but also just going through it the second time, grabbing the show notes and, and quotes and just listening to what Jerome had to say yet again, uh, especially because it was a morning for him and an evening for me due to the time zone differences. So sometimes uh, it's just good to listen to it again when you're in the middle of the day, state of mind type mentality. And uh, it's just an amazing overall episode. Jerome is one of the most um, well-read and knowledgeable coaches in terms of his own quest for better training methods. And so I know you'll love this podcast. Uh, one last thing before we get going, I do apologize. There's about five minutes early, right in the beginning, where there's a little bit of audio issue. It doesn't detract from it at all. So just hang in there a little bit. I do apologize. So just so you know what's coming. But hey, let's get on to episode 92 with Jerome Simeon. Jerome, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here today. Well, I'm happy to be on the show. Yeah, I... I uh, I'm excited I got my uh, second guest from France. It's always it's always awesome talking to great coaches on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean and it just it's always worth it to do these weird time zone things too where it's either morning or night over there and morning or night over here and uh, so excited to chat today. Uh, could you kick it all off with uh, sharing with us a little bit about your background as an athlete and what got you into coaching? Well, it wasn't much of an athlete but um I started at six-year-old, played rugby, uh, come from a rugby family, so I was uh, I was raised with uh, Five Nations rugby, which is Six Nations now. So it's basically that was basically what I was doing. Um, I did have a little seed planted about American football when I was uh, I don't know eight or nine or something back then. It was a long time ago, by the way. 
uh, back then you didn't get any anything. It just didn't exist uh, in France. You didn't see it at all. But somehow I saw some footage. And then uh, when I got to be um, 18, um, I met uh, the French guy who played in the NFL. It was a rugby player like me, and uh, he went over to the University of Georgia and uh, ended up being a pretty good football player, having never played before, um, and played five years in the NFL. So on a language trip, I met him over there in Boston. He was playing with the Patriots. And, uh, you know, I tried to do the same. So, uh, I, so I went to the University of Georgia, uh, walked on there for a while. Well, I ended up not being good enough quite. <laughs> uh, and then uh, I ended up at uh, McGill University over there where um, I played Canadian football. Um, so always interested in training, uh, obviously, trying to, you know, understand why some were better than others, why some were better than me. And, uh, and up there in Montreal, that's where it started all, really. Um, I met, uh, oh, no, I guess, you know what? It was the old muscle media, and I read about Charles. And Charles came to Montreal. And so I met up with a group of, uh, of guys who were actually the guys, it's Paul Gagné from Montreal, Yves who uh, brought him in. So I kind of worked with him a little bit, and that's how I started in strength coaching. And um, Charles came uh, to Montreal for seminars, and so I took all the classes, and that's where I started. I said, hey, you know what? Maybe that's what I want to do. Yeah, that's that's awesome, man. And so uh, outside of uh, working with Charles Poliquin, who have been some of your, your big mentors and influences and, and people that you've drawn your, your system that you have with? Yeah, well, I'd say biggest influence um, – I'd say my system is about 40%. The biggest influence is 40% Charles, um, 40% Jay. Um, and then the rest, either I make up or I get somewhere, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I would say. Yeah. It, th- there's many. There's many. Um, but the, the two biggest ones, yeah. Yeah. I, well, hey, those are two, two awesome coaches to form your philosophy under, no doubt. Uh, and so, well, yeah, oh, yeah. The thing, but the thing with Charles, I mean, is starting with weight training because that was the obvious one in football. You know, that's the obvious thing. Uh, you start with weight training, but you started right. So, yeah, I mean, that is interesting. I guess the idea of starting with Charles Poliquin, more the traditional strength training, and then uh, Jay Schrader, which uh, I mean, obviously, weight training is barbell training is part of what they do, but uh, everything else is much, much different than the typical norm of what, what we tend to see. And how did you, how did you get connected with Jay and what he was doing? What, what drew your interest, uh, to that system? Well, Jay, um, I do not know how, um, oh, so, okay. I guess I was kind of following the buzz, uh, but that was, that was many years later. Um, I was kind of following the buzz around Archuleta and all that stuff. I did talk to, in 2004, I went to see Charles. I spent a week with him in Arizona. And uh, he mentioned Jay. He said, uh, talking about strength coaches, he said, you know, there's not many strength coaches. There's, and there's Jay Schroeder. And uh, it turned out he was, uh, his facility was right down the street from, from his, 
which he didn't tell me. <laughs> so I could have, but so I went back to France. I was like, oh, Jay, okay. And then uh, kind of forgot about it. And um, um, I saw about uh, something about the ARP wave. Um, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I called him up and I said, they said, well, we have somebody in Europe already. They're in Amsterdam. So I contacted these guys. We talked. They showed me the ARP blah, 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 and then the organizers, uh, you know, with the Americans, okay, and I come, and uh, so I go to the seminar, and lo and behold, who's there? Jay, Jay Shore. <laughs> so, um, I got involved in, uh, a little bit with the ARP wave in Europe for a while, and, um, and uh, so it gave me a lot of time to talk with Jay. So that's that's how that's how I influenced uh, my thinking. Uh, so we'd we'd have a lot of time to sit around and just talk about training. Yeah, uh, hey, I'm I'm excited to talk about your philosophy and training athletes. Uh, before we get that, actually, I, I forgot I should have asked this question, but you work with a lot of pretty high level athletes and they they get really good results. Uh, could you share a little bit about some of the athletes you're coaching? and uh, kind of what they're up to, and, and uh, maybe just give a little bit uh, in that realm. Uh, all right, well, I guess the, the, uh, the most well-known would be Kevin Meyer. He's um, he's world champion decathlete. Um, so he just won the world championship in heptathlon. Um, I have uh, my longest tenure with athletes is over... 20 years now, yeah, over 20 years with uh, Melina Robert Michon. She's a discus thrower. Uh, so she has medaled in, in the Olympics, uh, in the World Championships uh, twice. She's medaled in, uh, recently in the European Championships also. Those are the two most well known. I'm also in tennis with uh, Caroline Garcia. Um, it's very recent. Um, it's been uh, it's been a year, but we had good results. She went from uh, 23rd WTA ranking to seventh this year. Um, I guess those are the three most well known. Then I have, of course, you know some some others and some different sports. And I've had uh, I've been in professional rugby. I've had um, a lot of sports really. Certainly, and. I like the the kind of the, the mix between a track and field uh, being just such a pure uh, outcome. You, you you jumped this, you ran that, and and then team sports with just uh, so many different uh, more open uh, options of things and movement. And uh, let's get into your general training philosophy a little bit. I'd like to talk first about and and it, intriguing to me how you've had Poliquin and then Trader uh, as as mentors. And what's your uh, what's your take on barbell training, wonder at maxes? I know in one of your blog articles you've mentioned uh, the idea of do you want to be strong or lift big weights? <laughs> uh, yeah. and, and so talk a little bit about uh, the wonder at max ideal, how that breaks down, and uh, how you tend to use barbell weightlifting with your athletes. Uh, what I always say is I have an obligation or result. I don't have an obligation of means. Um, it it, it kind of always... Uh, in North America, well, let, let's face it, it uh, Americans are in love with weight training, you know, 
especially benching, but <laughs> yeah, the <yeah. laughs> low, low weight training. Um, over here, the culture is not exactly the same. Uh, it's not exactly the same. And um, the way it evolved is that um, the other thing is always the sporting culture is different. Um, there is, um, it's not as wild of a system. The system is like you have like a federal system where um, if you're good, you know, if, if you're halfway good, uh, then you're already starting to be helped pretty well. And if you're good, you know, you have people to help you and you have a little bit of money, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's pretty well funded. So, and, and I was on the outside of this. I was, uh, I was private. I had a private facility, which was pretty much unheard of back then, 20 years ago. Um, and um, so if you came to see me, it's because you had problems. Because you had to pay me, right? So you weren't going to pay if everything was fine. So having problem, problems for an athlete means uh, either I'm not performing or means I am, um, I'm hurt. Um, so I need to get results and I need to get results now because if they're not, they don't get better and they didn't care about their bench or their squad, they, get, they, they cared about being better at their sport. So it's just trying to you know, uh, solve problems that uh, had me thinking that, you know what, it's not always the best answer right now. It's not always the best answer right now. Um, also had an experience with my discus throw. I remember once uh, she, she benched uh, 200. I wanted to increase her bench. She was like, you know, she's a discus thrower. And uh, so she benched like 100 kilos, uh, 225 pounds. Um, and you know what? She didn't get any better at all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not at all. And that's the cool thing about track and field, is that uh, you can't hide. You know, um, you can. Some betters, some football, soccer players can be better than others at 90 percent. But uh, you know, all the deficiencies get get shown up in track and field. Uh, there's there's no hiding. It's a uh, it's a bit cruel, but it's it's um, it's fair. <laughs> you know, it's righteous. So it it kind of started that way. Uh, well, I wasn't getting uh, exactly all the results I wanted with the traditional quote unquote traditional uh, strength training. Um, and. You know, talking to Jay, I was looking for the same thing that he was looking for. He just brought me some different, you know, different means and different outlook on things. And it's really started around 2008, 2000, yeah, 2008, where uh, I really changed a lot of the exercises. Yeah, so in terms of some of the stuff that Jay had done that you, yep. so you were seeing like an athlete put a certain amount on their bench, they didn't improve their discus or they weren't, they weren't right. getting transfer. Uh, what were some of the things that Jay was doing that you really found was effective or were started to put into place with your athletes at that point? Um, well, with Jay, um, hard to say. Uh, it, it is, hmm. It's a good question, actually. <laughs> It's a good question, actually. Um, well, we started with the, uh, you know, we, what do you call the ISO extremes, uh, the super slow. We started with the, 
uh, what do you call them? Because I got my own names for it. Oh yeah, yeah, and across across uh, continents too. Uh, I mean, yeah. There, yeah, a lot of the like oscillating get, isometrics or those types of things, or the rebounds and stuff like this. Yeah. you know, um, and um, and he started me, kind of, you know, showed me stuff, um, and um, then we worked on the on some kind of a program. Uh, loose programming for uh, a discus store and uh and you know she did really well that year um she didn't like it at all <laughs> she hated it at first but you know she saw her results so then uh, <laughs> and then from there um i got my the thing is about jay um if i may go off on a tangent is i think jay is very 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 misunderstood um, I remember going to uh, Minnesota because, I, yeah, I was visiting uh, Dr. J, J.P. Taylor, who we talked about. And so I went to see Caldeets also. And so, of course, you know, the subject uh, came up. And uh, what he thought were iso-extremes uh, was very different from what I thought it was. And um, so we exchanged views and stuff, and I, I showed him the way I teach. Uh, so where I teach my idea what it is, okay? Because it only Jay's does Jay. My system is different. It's different, but it's it's it really influenced by him, um, by his teachings. But it, it is different. So it you know when he, it's it's always what you think, what the person think Jay does. You can never be sure that's what he does. So, um, where was I with this? Huh? Oh yeah, well, basically, you were talking a little bit about what uh, what you had learned from Jay, uh, what you right. had started to replace or supplant some of that barbell heavy barbell lifting with, uh, yeah, and then yes. the ISO extremes and and those things. Yeah, I guess the idea the idea is that uh, really okay, the the efficiency of movement um, is what is what drives everything. Is you you can change that. Uh, you can change the way the brain coordinates around um, um, the sequence of uh, of firing, if you want. Of and that's very important. That's the most important thing: the sequence of contraction and relaxation of muscles. And that's what uh, that's what is that's what movement is. It, it's a, it's a targeted uh, sequence of uh, muscle contraction and relaxation. Yeah, I, and that's, yeah. that's become the core of it. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, I always feel like, uh, especially with the ISO extremes, uh, that was one thing too that it's it's like it's like a lot of people have so many different ideas of what those are, and and you hear, I mean, I've heard you know five minutes straight, and then I've heard uh, like ten seconds on, ten seconds off, twenty on, ten off, and and alternating or rest, take a break when you need it. Uh, and, and also it's being a more neurological thing, like rewiring the organization of the muscle patterning more so than even, and I guess we would look at it and just say endurance, but, uh, how do you, um, how do you tend to program the, the ISO extremes? Uh, do you have your athletes hold them for a long time? Do they, you split it up and take breaks? Uh, what are the things that you were looking for? Well, well, I'll tell you it, that that's minutia. That's not the problem. The problem is how you do them. You, you you can get results however you do it. The problem is you've got you 
you have to do them a certain way uh, that I think I figured out a way that gives me results um, because they're not isometrics. It's just, it's, it, that's the thing. The extreme ISO just just confuses the hell out of everybody. <laughs> and, and, and the thing is, so the, people start calling them long-duration ISOs. That's not what they are. Uh, but I guess, sorry, that's not what I understand they are. And maybe I understood something totally different in that. I don't think so. That, that gives me results. Um, but they're not isometrics in the sense of isometrics. The, the difference, though, is that um, uh, when I was talking to Jay, so obviously I, talk, I, I spoke English with Jay, but I had to go home and translate all that stuff in a different language. Uh, so I, I couldn't get hung up on the words. And, and I, had, I had to convey how to do it differently. So, for example, I saw this, I just, I didn't get, I don't think I got caught into the isometric trap. Like when I went to see Caldeeds, he was having people do like real isometrics holding for five minutes or so or something. And I showed him, I was like, I, I don't think that's what it is. And I showed him how I'd, how I'd do it. And he's like, oh, I, yeah, well, that's, that's not the way we do it, you know? So I think this, whether it's five minutes, you do it, it's just, it's not the problem. It's not the core of it. The core of it is the way you do it. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah no no doubt. I, I like how you said that kind of like right off the bat because I do think that was how I originally thought. I'm just like, well, how long? Like five minutes is impossible. How can anyone do that? <laughs> you know, like, and, and well, it's not. Oh, yeah. It's not possible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's very you, hard. Yeah, and to do it well, and I think the thing that I tend to see as well is is people often and correct me if I'm wrong because this is again it is a confusing thing. And so my understanding in looking with, with some of the things that Dr. J had written uh, is that it's like doing it as if you're ripping yourself apart basically like maximally contracting your front hamstring and hip flexor and then maximally contracting your back glute and quad like a lunge so you're almost like ripping yourself apart and you have to unless you're doing it maximally then it's not really accomplishing that much and then uh, i what i do is taking breaks as you need to if you can't do it max like that then take a break and i mean is that uh what what's your how do you um how have you come to utilize them in that regards? Um, well, it's definitely the kind of exercise that uh, you get out of it what you put in. And and for me, it's it's uh, it's about creating a change. And if you create a change, I tell people if you prescribe a certain amount of time, whatever it may be, of it, and and, and I tell them it's not it's not holding two, three, four, five minutes. Is you only have that much time to create a change. So it's the time you have to create a change. So it is. So you have to do it. You have to think about speed. You have to go fast. You have to do it. You know, you don't have much time to do it. So yes, there's an element that the, the stronger you go at it, the better it works. Definitely. So that's kind of like. So the idea would be like you have. You're gonna do this ISO, and you have one minute to make get as much as you can out of this. Uh, kind of like that like that would be the approach you give to your athletes yes yes um yes it's often five minutes though but yeah yeah you're not that nice <laughs> i i've uh i always i myself i always find myself needing to 
break that up personally but i i feel like getting in the right environment though i'm sure it can go quite a bit longer well i mean no like tell the truth um well jay would just uh would would go off on uh, saying saying you don't have your mind right blah, 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 if, you do, if you don't do it five minutes and stuff in some positions it's easier than others uh some it's uh it's very 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 difficult um it's very very difficult to do it right like because it, it took me it took me a few years to extract out of conversation i had with jay to extract the actual system and actually way of doing most exercises um it's what i did all myself um to get all the progressions that i have now i got hurt quite a bit <laughs> and all that stuff you know um and um and the thing with jay it was like i would ask a question uh, he was give me some crazy answer and i would take it and i would work for six months at it and then i'd see him again and he'd see that i worked on it so then he'd, he'd just say something else that seemed kind of crazy i just assumed i was like all right well you know what and you know in the end every time he was really like oh, yeah, you're right at the end after after i've done the work but he it's kind of like you wanted me. You want to see if, I, if I've done the work. Um, so, um, yeah, it's it's something extracted. It's not it's not necessarily what Jay does. Like if you you know you really have to go to Jay and have him teach you if uh, if you want to make sure that's what he does. Yeah, I feel like there is it, it is interesting the the room for interpretation through that because I feel like everyone I've met who's been influenced by that type of methodology. I've never met anybody who does everything the exact same way. Everyone does things a little bit different and pulls in some different ideas. And yeah, it's definitely not not like a closed system um, at, at all. So <laughs> I, I do think- well, I think it is, it is. It's just, it's just, it's never been explained really to anybody. I think, you know, it's just never been explained to anybody really. Yeah, oh, that that does make sense. I guess that would well that would explain why I guess I see um, it being different in uh, how a lot of people have implemented it. I going back to what you had said, like the mentality of it all uh, certainly definitely rings through, and maybe that uh, almost the the idea of you know using things that are uncomfortable uh, to help like kind of either train or observe an athlete's mental state. Uh, I think that there's definitely a lot to that. Uh, how have you taken on like uh, the mental approach of an extreme or long isometric hold with your athletes? Um, well, at the beginning, you know, I lost a few athletes at the beginning who were not happy about the change in methods. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I did lose a few, um, but I guess that was a necessary transition. Um, but um, I don't know. It's, it's just uh, showing them, showing them instant instant results. Like I remember um, Jay talking about crazy stories about yeah we do uh, we do uh, ISO extreme push-ups for five minutes straight and then we go and bench our max. And uh, so I'm like, all right, well you know guess what we did it. And once we figure out how to do ISO extreme push-ups correctly, and yeah we benched our max right after, absolutely no problem, no warm up, no nothing. Just, you know, you just get up, shake your arms, uh, lie down on the bench, boom, bench your max. So, um, 
so then I figured I was like, yeah, we're probably doing it right. Um, so, it, so if you can show them instant results, if they do it right, then uh, you know they go along with it. That's you know. Otherwise, you mean it, the thing is, I guess it's also the type of personality, personality, and the way and the people you attract. Um, people that are, work with me, I mean, they already go see someone who everybody tells it tells them is a weirdo. All right, they spend money, which uh, in our sporting culture is a little weird already. <laughs> <laughs> spend money for it, so I mean, they're they have a different willingness than most village that way. Yeah, it's a it is an interesting thing, sport uh, sports and training and money and 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 how that all kind of works into it. I I, uh, I like what you said too. Uh, this reminds me, uh, I think it was, um, I'm trying to remember who wrote this, uh, but it was the idea of like, the extreme ISOs are not like fun. They're not meant to be fun. <laughs> and and uh, it totally makes sense how you had you know lost uh, lost a few athletes or your disc, yeah. your discus thrower. <laughs> or, but, but to me though, that's like, okay, you do this and then you're going to go be able to bench press your max is, is amazing. Like, and to be able to see results with it. I, I remember it was last year for me. I'm like, okay, I'm going to give these a shot, you know, the best way I know how. Uh, and for two weeks, I, I did them for about two weeks. And I noticed after, uh, two weeks, I, my, my, two leg running vertical jump had jumped up about three inches and I had gotten higher than I had in the whole last year. And I was like, Whoa, uh, you know, these are boring, but they're doing something, you know, like it's, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely working. And so to being able to tie it to results, I'm sure really, really helps the motivational factor, uh, for the people that you're doing with doing it with. Yeah. That's the basis of it all results, you know, especially in track and field. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you with like. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, with yeah, no, for sure. Like that's and that's definitely. Uh, I think almost. I feel like every strength coach should have to work with track and field, or get to get to work with track and field athletes, or swimming athletes, or, or something like that at at some point in their career. Uh, just because. Yeah, you're always your result is directly tied to what your athlete is going out and doing. Um, with your discus thrower, you mentioned uh, she had improved her bench and hadn't you know, seen the corresponding improvement in the throw, which is certainly very common. I mean, I I've seen it a lot, you know, and we hear about it a lot. And like an athlete who maybe long jumped a particular distance, cleaning you know a certain amount, and then they put 40, 50 pounds in their clean and they didn't go any farther or things like that. Uh, so what, uh, you, you noticed that her bench hadn't gone or had gone up or throws hadn't you started to do extreme isos. What were some other modifications you had made to the program or different changes in the system that helped her to get results after that strength, max strength gain had kind of stagnated things? Well, uh, <clears throat> okay. I always had the philosophy and that's from Charles from very, that's where Charles was different. Uh, from everybody else is um, and I think why well, you had so much success early on uh, but from he started me right in, in, in thinking he started me right back then in thinking that you know what what you have to look for is a limiting factor always look for the limiting factor um, so I always already had that uh, that frame of mind when I came to Jay and um, now the way I formulated and the way it, it, it morphed it 
what it morphed into is that for me the the, the basis of what I do is that um, you know um, I don't people like to talk about neurology and I like to talk about it too and I study I study it but I'm I'm kind of a black box kind of guy more system kind of guy and I'm not going to go into the nitty gritty of uh, all the different areas of the brain that do what and what. No, what I get from everything I read is that the brain works one way, is that um, you give it an intention, give it a goal, and then uh, it's somehow to achieve that goal, a movement goal, of course, achieve the goal, the information it gets back from your body and, and calculates a sequence of contraction and relaxation of muscles to hit that goal. And then if it doesn't, then it's a feedback that says, oh, I didn't, and it changes it, right? It changes it until you hit the goal and then commits that to memory. So um, the thing is what I do as a physical preparation specialist, more than just a strength coach, is that uh, it's that middle it's that information that gets back to the brain and I, I give it a, I try to change it um, which is to, to give it everything it needs to have to hit that goal like for example um, um, it's usually better in picture that I show it but um, I, if I'm reaching for my for my mug right now, okay, I'm gonna reach for my mug right now, and my sport is to reach for my mug as fast as and grab it as fast as possible, right? So I'm gonna extend my arm, open my hand, grab it, and bring it to my mouth, um, right? Now just imagine I have some limitation in extending my elbow. So what am I gonna do? I'm gonna lean. I'm gonna lean with my trunk there. I'm gonna, you know, um, and and bring it back. I guess you can picture that, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, that's a way to do it because my brain has information. I can extend the elbow. So what I'm going to do is just going to bend my spine and go get it, right? But that doesn't have as much potential as extending my elbow. It's much faster. So some people with their technique and their movements, they can't extend the elbow. So they move their spine to grab that glass. So I can get really good at bending my spine, but something uh, it's, uh, it's a pattern that has a, a so come in. And what I do, I say, oh, the elbow doesn't work well. I restore function. Oh, all of a sudden, you don't do the same movement anymore. You grab it much faster, and now you can work on it, and your performance is better. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was gonna, that was actually one of the questions I was going to go in, is talking about addressing uh, local patterns that are an issue. And... And I, I do really like uh, something that stuck with me. I think Dan Fichter was the first guy that I heard this from was the idea of coaches who are, who are you know, yelling at their athletes to do a better technique when their athlete just doesn't have that, that motor pattern, that muscular pattern, the physical strength to yep. do that. And, and so how do you, if you have an athlete who has a weak link in, in the chain, uh, how do you go about, uh, well, uh, we'll say, I guess, searching for it. So what's the, are there any movements or isometrics or anything that's kind of a screening process that you'll look at to say, okay, this is a weak pattern. Uh, and then how do you go about correcting that? Do you use, uh, the ARP wave or isometrics? Uh, what's, uh, what's kind of your screen process? And then what are some ways that you will bring those muscles up? 
Oh, I, 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 unfortunately, uh, for people uh, listening, screening process, you know what? It's a lot of um, having an eye. It's a lot of looking, of understanding how how people move, and 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 seeing deviation from the norm, because that's one thing that that Jay brought is that uh, a lot of people say, well, you know what, uh, people, there's plenty of different ways to move and stuff, and I don't agree with that. Jay doesn't agree with that, and I don't agree with that. Um, I think there's a right way, there's an optimal way to move. It's just that you cannot, um, you cannot. Uh, 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 Mix up, uh, I would say, styles and fundamentals. There's a fundamental way to do things efficiently. Um, if you look at track and field, for example, there's much more discrepancy uh, in the way uh, long-distance athletes run, right, in between that group. There's a lot more discrepancies. Uh, than there is between 100 meters. Like 100 meters, everybody pretty much runs the same, right? You, you'll find some differences, but I mean, there are very little differences. You know, the sequence all the same, uh, the shin hits the, hits the ground about the same, blah, 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 blah. Now you look at long distance, uh, you look at long distance and you get that Paula Radcliffe uh, kind of funky move. You had the <laughs> Chinese at some point that were running with no arms and you know, all that stuff. <laughs> So, but when you need to move fast and the shorter the event is, then the less um, space, the less tolerance there is for discrepancies in, 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 in deviation from, I'm not going to call it the, the norm, but the optimal, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, right. So, so it, it's a lot of looking at people move and say, oh, right, so that's, that's just not normal. You know, that's just not normal. And then when you see that, and then you, you can go and do everything. So uh, for evaluation, it's context dependent, really, if you come see you an injury or not. So it's, yeah, it's, I'm sorry my answer is a little fuzzy, but it's very context dependent. Then you get all the techniques. You can use like AK techniques. You can uh, use um, neurological screening to see what's, what's wrong. And so it's really context dependent. And it depends if, if, if it's a kid or if it's a seasoned athlete. It's, um, so it, it, it's really, a, I'm, I'm sorry I can't really give tell you like I have a protocol, you come in, right? But I, the main thing is you got to learn how to see people move first, you know, watch videos of their event or see them walk, see them run, you know? Yeah, uh, I, I totally agree with that. I think that, People tend to want uh, like a like a packaged movement screen that's going to solve all their problems. You know, like do these five things and you will be able to determine what's wrong with your athletes. And uh, you know, when you do things that are just a skill unto themselves, uh, like stepping over a hurdle or whatever, I don't mm -hmm. think I. I mean, I've always been a person. I want to watch you walk, run, and jump. And mm -hmm. if I can determine it from there, then we're good. Like or or do a squat or something, uh, mm -hmm. or or even watching someone run and then get putting them in an isometric lunge. And I, I feel like I tend to see the same things in an ISO lunge that I see when they're running. And to me, that's kind of one of my first things that, that I can go to, but I, I definitely agree with you. I was going to say too, uh, Franz Bosch has that in his uh, motor coordination book has that centrifuge model. Uh, you're actually, I, you're the first person I had actually heard say this is the variability 
between the sprinters and the distance runners. I'd never heard that before. And as you said, I was kind of thinking to myself, I was like, I don't spend a lot of time. I spend a lot of time looking at sprinters, not a lot of time watching distance runners, but I totally agree with you with the distance. Like I can totally see it, but I, I like the idea of Franz Bosch saying like the faster you go, the more the muscle has to do what it's meant to do. And if you're going slow, different muscles can compensate in different ways. Cause you're not going that fast. Um, I agree. But, uh, that was a good context that you brought. I agree. That. Uh, would you say, uh, in terms of, uh, so once you find it, and I, I definitely liked your answer there with kind of just, uh, coaches need to learn, uh, have an eye for those things. But once you do have an eye for uh, what you're looking for in, with an athlete and they have a weakness or an issue, what's your mm-hmm. protocol for bringing that up? Uh, how, do you, how do you go about doing that? What are some means and methods that you tend to like in that regard? Well, um, okay, weakness. Um, what are we talking about? Uh, we have to, you have to determine what, what doesn't work and how it doesn't work. Um, okay, a muscle cannot uh, contract fast enough, for example, but that might be, that might be a neurological issue. You know, that might be from the brain. So then, then I would use um, like functional neurology techniques. Um, sometimes, so again, uh, I'll, you know, I always try to credit my sources. I remember back in 2004, uh, Charles telling me, back then I was 18, I think you might have more now, it's like 18 reasons why a muscle is weak, <laughs> right? 18. So, uh, you know, it ranges from, uh, from, you know, connective tissue to uh, joint health to, uh, uh, acupuncture meridian to you know host of things so when you think something doesn't work um, it, it, it's not right then you know you have you have your list and you just go through your list uh, and, and, and you look at it uh, try to restore function um, <clears throat> so it, the means could be very different on, on depending on who it is you know um, depending on who it is I also believe that um, there is not um, local weakness doesn't really happen. Um, isolated weakness doesn't really happen. It's always part of the whole. So you'll find something else somewhere, somewhere else that uh, uh, is um, also a problem uh, because um, it's more in the way people are generally organized. So, like, let's say, for example, um, I, I work with, um, with um, I'm trying to find the IPC athletes. Um, I have uh, one athlete who, uh, who medaled in world championship in long jump. And uh, so it's a category is like it's pretty, it's T47. I mean, she has a, um, she, there's basically one arm she can't use, right? And that's very interesting work, yeah. Because she's a yeah. She runs. She does long jump. Runs 200. She medaled in 200 in the in the long jump, and it's very interesting to see um, the influence of the work and the influence of her arm on her leg cycle. I mean, you know it. I mean, we know there's an influence, right? We know it's all coordination, but to have someone who can't really use her arm. And, and, and see how it limits uh, her gait, her running gait, uh, it's very interesting. 
it's very interesting and, and then that, that gives you a vision of, uh, of really the whole rather than try to pigeonhole like that that one muscle is going to change everything you know you're listening to the just fly performance podcast brought to you by simply faster yeah i like the the hierarchy too makes me think a little bit i was just listening to a, uh, a podcast uh barbell shrugged and i had seen uh, paul check's uh thing before but his totem pole idea of like uh it's like this huge hierarchy of of factors that could be causing an issue starting with like vision then chewing then then breathing and and goes and then the organs and glands and it just goes on and on down the line of um of all these factors that could be causing a problem and so i'm glad you said that i i think i even tend to get into a little bit of a reductionist mindset sometimes like just tell me how to fix this you know like and when it uh there definitely can be (laughs) more factors at play i think we all kind of want that shortcut that's just gonna fix an issue so so quickly uh in that regards not to be fair um most of the time it's the same thing it's the same things and then once in a while you'll have an outlier problem and that you bang your head against and and uh but um but most of the time you know it's it's the same things usually um it's a you know it often often it's it's what we call compensation patterns, and 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 that's all explains. Um, that's what when I talk to federation people in track and field here. What I tell them a lot is that like for example, this is something with France. We have a lot of of good kids like uh, youth world championships, um, under eighteen. We get a lot of good kids. You know a lot of medals there, and then not so many with adults. You know, and I'm like, where are all these kids? You know, they were the best ones. How come they're not the best ones after? You know, and and my interpretation of this is that um, so a lot of them blame the system. A lot of them blame you know social economic factors and uh, which may be a part of it. But a lot of what I say is that is that you know you train him early. And we all have a way to move. And I talked about my elbow and my, my glass and reaching my glass. And that's a compensation pattern. And a compensation pattern um, allows you for a certain amount of power. And be it power or amount of work, if you want, if you want to go towards the endurance side. It allows you a certain amount after which you either break down or you get inhibited. Because uh, you know the uh, the engine, the computer in the, uh, that guides the engine knows that uh, the frame is not going to hold, right? So uh, if you want to have a car analogy, and um, and that's what happens. They're good. They're good, and then they get that injury at some point because they, they reach a certain amount of power. They, they they get that injury, and then they never fix it really. And they never fix the cause of injury. They fix the injury. It's healed. They never fix the cause. They never fix the compensation pattern. And then they spend the whole rest of their career uh, running after that uh, performance they had when they were 17. Right? Um, So if you fix the cause, if you fix the compensation pattern, then they move better and they, they access another level of power. And with track and field, that's what I see. is what I tell an athlete to say, listen. You need to complain. You need to tell me the slightest uh, wrong feeling you need to tell me because that gives me an information in your compensation pattern. And what's going to happen, you're going to go from one to the other, you know? 
so a lot of people say athletes get never hurt, never get hurt. Well, that's not true. <laughs> Nobody can really say that, but they can. You know, they they don't get hurt. They're more resilient. They're more resilient. Uh, it doesn't mean along the way that they don't have that little uh, little something, but that training to tell me, and then we get ahead of it, change the compensation pattern, and boom, the access to another level of power, right? And then they work within that and get better, and then uh, the little something else that comes up, then you fix that, and boom, another level of power. See, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no doubt. It, I mean, it makes me think a few things i've heard the idea of um of compensation patterns and in maybe a few different contexts as well i like there's the idea of one muscle taking over for another like your uh like in douglas heel system your your quad is taking over for your psoas uh but then i've also heard it maybe mm-hmm. even more on yep. this like uh the level of the muscle itself like in the way the muscle is firing and, and organized uh, what what can you go into a little bit of detail on what you you mean by specifically by compensations? Like what what do you what's a compensation to you? Well, for example, me uh, if I can come back to uh, the example of me reaching from a from reaching from a glass, right? The compensation pattern that I can't extend my elbow, so I'm going to bend my spine. That's a compensation, right? So I'm going to because I can't extend an elbow, I can't reach. Then I'm going to reach by bending my trunk. And that's a compensation pattern. That's a typical example, right? So now, um, to so I do something different than what I, that what would be optimal to get to um, to to get to my goal. That's yeah. That's as simple as that. Sure. Uh, so an athlete, and maybe this fits with something I always think about with Jay is like not doing like any sprinting really for the workout because if you're maybe the idea of like if you're already in a compensation pattern and you're going in sprinting and and you know and then even thinking about cues while you're doing it that are probably going to mess things up uh it's not it's not going to help the problem and so exactly you're right i i'd love it if you uh went in a little bit into uh, maybe like like just an example of an athlete, like a track athlete or a sprinter or, or a jumper or yeah. thrower, and they, yeah. what what like what's yeah. a pattern that you might see, and then how would you go about fixing it? Just maybe giving like a case study or an example to kind of hammer that home. Sure. I, the the gu- the mug's great, but just uh, taking that into ath- an athlete um, experience. All right, um, let's say let's say let's say let's say let's um, say well let's say someone uh, let's say like a sprinter for example. Like let's say a sprinter has a, um, you can see, for example, he doesn't have much knee lift on his left side, for example. Okay. Uh, so you might want to go see in the psoas, you might not go see, well, it's not firing well and stuff. But that may be also, for example, you'll find out when you screen him, for lack of a better word, that uh, he, uh, he lacks uh, extension in his opposite shoulder. Um, so the thing is, if he doesn't have under, under high forces, of course, because it's also, it's a different, you may have, you may have passive and under low forces, you may have enough extension in your, in your, in your shoulder, but you may not have, and you find out that he had some little injury there before benching, for example. And so it kind of, it kind of hurts a little bit when he runs, he doesn't feel it, but then he has a limitation in extension. Um, in his right shoulder. Well, if he has a limitation in extension right shoulder, um, he's not going to go through the full, the, the full cycle, right? And so he's not going to go through 
extension of his uh, lower limb on the same side and therefore not full uh, flexion, triple flexion on the other side. So that, for example, that's a compensation pattern. So, so it, it's not going to run as fast. So you'll, you'll find that because of that shoulder, okay, you'll have a different in stride. Um, his stride uh, with his right, so let's say it's his right shoulder. So he doesn't have, um, let's say if it's, it's uh, his, okay, I I'm, I'm messed it up. It's his left shoulder because <laughs> mm-hmm. I was talking about the, okay, the knee lift on the left side. Okay, it's his left shoulder. So if his left shoulder doesn't have enough um, extension, then uh, he's going to have a shorter stride uh, when his right foot is on the ground, for example. So that's a compensation pattern. You'll see this. You'll see, you'll, 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 you'll see the stride first. You see, oh, he's got a different stride. And then you look for what's the difference. And then eventually you'll come up to the shoulder and you see, oh, and then you fix that shoulder, you know, give it the capability of having proper extension under high forces and boom you know his stride is improved and he goes faster because the thing about sprinting um i got a lot of uh flack i guess from outsiders with my work with uh, kevin meyer because they said uh, oh he doesn't he doesn't spend enough time on the track uh doesn't how is he gonna but but the thing is, he got faster, not spending much time. I mean, he spent some time on the tracks, the athlete. I mean, that's not, you know. <laughs> yeah, he's got to. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. But as far as sprinting, um, you know, it uh, it come up and and then we work on this. He um, work my facility and come up and we work on this and he go back and he run faster, right? He run faster because he's he's a guy who had a very good. His coach Bertrand Valsant did a very good job with him on the technique aspect of all the events. So when you break those composition pattern, he comes back and boom, he's instantly better because he's got the right intention, right? So that's what I was talking about the brain. You have an intention, you have a goal, and then so the right intention has been put in his mind and he has the right intention is that sometimes he doesn't have all the tools in the middle to hit that intention, hit that goal optimally. And once you give him that, boom, he gets better, right? Absolutely. That's something I've, that's really rang true for me, especially last like year or two is just um, talking with coaches too about like, uh, there's a swim coach uh, I had been talking to about how good some swimmers were who were never coached, like in the Pacific Islands or something like that. And they were probably kids who were doing all the different sports and movements and didn't have as many compensations and could just put movement together like their brain knew what it wanted to yeah. do <laughs> and they did it like and and he was talking about them versus like coach swimmers and i think we see the same thing and and like coach sprinters who are overcoached in every little detail and and yes. you know, then we go in the weight room and just try to hit one big one at maxes and things like that and don't really help i almost call it like the manufactured athlete you know it's like we're gonna i'm gonna manufacture you instead of the idea of like your body's pretty awesome it's it can do it. Just put it in a state where all of a sudden it can. It can do uh, what right. it needs to do. Right now, there's a difference also. Uh, you have to consider that sprinting. The thing about sprinting, you know, people often say you can't teach speed. It's talent, blah, 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 blah. I don't think it's talent. Um, but I do think that's uh, it, it's a skill 
pattern, call it what you may, uh, that you start working on uh, at a very early age. So when you grab the kids at 15, 14, 16 years, they already had like 12 years of training, you know, uh, 12 years of training. So that's harder to change. Um, that's harder to change. So it's something that's set. Now, I can say that because I've, you know, I've coached a lot of throwers, and that's different. You know, because when you throw the discus or the shot put, that's to a lesser extent the javelin. That's not quite as nat, you know, natural. I would say, or it's not quite as uh, a thing that you've been working on for so long, right? Oh yeah. So there, uh, you have to make the difference between, oh okay, well that you have the right intention and you can't do it and there you just have the wrong intention man <laughs> you know what i'm saying yeah that's a good that's a good distinction yeah we don't we don't help, i can't help you the technique's not good yeah we don't come out of the womb like throwing discuses around if we did maybe we wouldn't need a coach <laughs> but it's uh yeah I, I get exactly what you're saying i've thought of that too i'm glad you brought that up i think that's that is very important so in your uh, like I, I really like to get into some like nuts and bolts or like take me inside Obviously, every athlete's different, and every session's a little different. But yep. say, say for your throwers, or maybe your decathlete or sprinters, take me mm-hmm. inside what a what a session with you might look like. What are some things you work through as you go through the session? What are some points of emphasis? Uh, maybe speaking All in right. generalities. Well, but... um, you know, I worked out a system where um, it's it's kind of like a school system where uh, you have your uh, you have your core. Uh, abilities that are some things that I think all athletes should be able to do no matter what their sport is. So, for example, um, your um, your hip flexors and hip extensors must know how to uh, must know how to contract and and relax antagonistically antagonistically sorry very fast. Okay. So I, I came up with all these exercises that are very J-inspired, by the way, um, where they do, so I call them rebounds, I call them stop, uh, and my version of the ISOs. Um, and then in, in this, um, so everybody's got to do about the same exercise at first, and then they specialize it to do about the same exercise. Why? Um, because there's competencies that they need to have, abilities that they need to have, and if they don't have them, then it's... it's it's not worth going some somewhere. It's just if once they acquire them, then they get better no matter what, no matter what this sport is. That's been my experience. Um, so they have to go through this exercise. What's funny is that yes, you get different athletes doing the same exercise, but the way you teach him is different because what we'll do uh, what I call them stops, which means you you get into from one position to another very quickly and you stop abruptly in that position and you hold it for a little while and you get out of it. And then, for example, you could do a squat. You can, you can very, very fast into the squat, right? Faster than gravity would just allow you if you just let yourself drop, right? And then stop there for, for a hold and then get out of there, extend and then come back, for example, right? Try to teach you how to turn on, turn off what you need to turn. Um, so I have like, so that's one part of progression, and then you, you learn how to come out of that position fast, all right? And that's all mitigated with, with what your needs are, because sometimes you get, now I get more seasoned athletes sometimes, and they have different needs, so some 
may have more needs for strength, some more need for power, some are more elastic, so are more you know concentric type. Um, so so then in, in there uh, orient all the exercise to make sure it, it feeds their needs. So there's like the structural need, right? And then there's the I would call it neuro neurological need. I think you Dan would call it neurodynamics, I guess. <laughs> so so the session would look like, for example, you have a bunch of exercise in different positions, position of a squat, for example, position of a lunge, for example, and something else for for upper body, where you'd uh, you'd you'd get into position very quickly, turn on and off, um, and then, for example, you'd have like um, some more traditional weightlifting exercise in it because that person, uh, for example, has poor eccentric strength. So. Uh, as evaluated by the way Charles would have taught me, for example, and and then would uh, would work on that, like you know, work on that and have an exercise in the middle of that. Is that uh, does that answer your question? Sure. Yeah. So just to kind of I guess confirm you uh, doing uh, main movements that you're you're looking for and or main abilities uh, like a contract like a fast contract relax squat. Or lunge, and then you're yeah. you're mixing that with uh, regular. Uh, you're you're complexing it with traditional barbell movements or eccentric training, or you would do that after the the body weight fast movements were done. Well, I always go coordination first. Uh, I always go because what, what I found is that uh, even though you have a little bit of fatigue, uh, when you go through. Uh, our, uh, I don't call him that, but I mean the equivalent of ISO extremes or. Oh, I call them stops and rebounds. Then after this, if you've done it right, um, your movement quality is better, right? You may have a little bit of fatigue, but your movement quality is better. And and often I do the barbell there, you know, the barbell work. Um, it depends on the athletes. I do that for sometimes for athletes who really need that stimulation. Then you have to do it first. You know, it, it just depends on what your goal. Always, always do. Um, what you need most first yeah so yeah I, that makes sense like you had mentioned how jay said do a five minute iso push-up and then go bench your max so using extreme isos isometrics to warm up or also the the stop and rebound as you That's said not a like, warm up <laughs> oh the extreme iso is not not for warm-up <laughs> no it's not a warm-up okay we call that a warm-up but uh, okay no, it's create a change like when we do i don't i don't have people do this it's just because Jay said he would do it. Well, he, he was doing it, so we did it. You know, we tried it and found out that it actually worked. You know, it was possible. But it's not a good uh, idea to do. Yes. Well, <laughs> that, just because it works doesn't mean it's a good idea, basically. Oh, it, it's a good idea. The thing is, you have to have a some level of proficiency at doing them to be able to do it, right? So, of course, when you start, when you start with a with a new athlete, you know, I'll start first with um, um, trying to get rid of his... It also depends on the amount of time I have, you know. Uh, if I'm, uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm a strike athlete and and he she comes in in September, right? It's not the same as she comes in in March and said, well, you know, I got yeah. I have sprinter. I came in March and she's got to run fast in the month, right? So I don't have the time to lay the same foundation. I have to go right at the composition pattern and just make it make her fast right away, make her faster right away. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. 
so so it's like um it, it it really depends who you have and that depends on the sequencing but the bread and butter is um yes i use the um so-called my version of the iso extremes um and then um you know i teach him how to to come into those positions with some force right and then to come out of it basically and um based on on the assessment i made of of their movement capabilities before yeah yeah okay well that, that makes sense then uh so it, it, you were talking not so much before then about necessarily the iso extremes to warm up that being more of a progression and things but like doing i guess things like uh like an altering lunge jump as rapid as possible where you have to stop and absorb and then go mm. back the other way and stop and absorb uh, th- those mm. types of movements yeah, 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 yeah. I, I use them. They're, they're definitely those types of movements. You can do. That. You can do this. Um, and for me, if you can't do, uh, and there's progressions. Like for example, you don't go into jumping into a lunge if you can't do it with both feet on the ground for a certain amount of reps. For example, you know, and and with like, you know, without falling over. Uh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. You don't get the jump. You, you don't get the jump. So it's 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 like it's it's a system that's not based on. Um, because often it's like when you know when am I changing exercise? I'm like, well, you know, when you know how to do this one, and you do and you, you do this x amount of rep, then you can you can change exercise, right? So some people will will stay on the same exercise for a very long time, and they still they still you know they still get something out of it because I know because they get the performance gets better, right? Because you know if the performance gets better, uh, these people just don't come back. So, uh, so the performance gets better, but they, they stay stuck on one exercise for a long time because they just can't figure it out because they got something that's just a problem. So I try to help them, of course, with whatever it may be in soft tissue work or whatever they need to be. But sometimes it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's just getting the intention right. And um, so you try to do that as quickly as possible just to give them all the, what they need to have so they can have all the tools to succeed, but sometimes you just have to do it. And so they, they stay on the exercise for a while, and then once they've learned what they need to learn on it, uh, which is shown to me by the fact that they can do it, you know, uh, they can do it, right? Then boom, you move on to something else. You move on usually to a higher level of force. Uh, Jerome, you had, you had mentioned, uh, I think this will be the last question, uh, just because I think both of us are, are uh, running out of our respective ends of the day. Uh, but uh, you had mentioned that the athletes who were doing their best at age like 17 and 18, and then they get into their 20s and they don't go faster. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that a lot of people would say, well, I mean, what I've seen is people that heavy weight training tends to be something that I think hangs people up <laughs> like just you get your one at max up as high as you can for years and years and years um it t- tends to uh have that that negative effect and uh, wh- what are some reasons are there some other reasons that you tend to see that the these people stalling out when they're running their best times at a young age and then not making progress like what are some reasons that people don't make progress uh once they get past those, those ages well um it's the it's the limiting factor. It's the need. What is it? I mean, for a lot of kids um, in sprinters, they are kind of recruited because they're they're good. Um, they're they're fast. They're uh, fast in the sense where um, they're, for example, ten meter fly runs are good, right? They 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 bounce well. 
and they're, they're, they have that, that fast quality. So weightlifting, and the thing is, these guys, if um, they do uh, traditional weightlifting, then it, it teaches them how to overcome inertia and accelerate. So they get into their what they're good at with more speed, so it works for a while, right? And then, so it works for a long while, and that's that's what I see in sprinters. You know, the kids that are fast, you make them stronger, they accelerate better, and then they get into uh, that portion of the race where they're good with more speed, so they're even better, right? So that works for a while, but then comes that compensation pattern where you cannot, uh, I don't know, uh, push on that leg or you cannot have that stance long enough or fast enough because uh, that type uh, with these high forces and then you shut down and your brain inhibits it or you get an injury, right? And your brain inhibits it, inhibits the, the, the power that you can display because of that. So I think that's the main reason. Um, it's compensation pattern, for lack of a better term, um, is because there is something that you just don't have the tools to do. The sequence is off. Uh, you don't have the energy means. Uh, you don't have the energy reserve. You don't have the that's you know, and something's off. And then you you clean this, and boom, they go faster. And that's how people get faster at the so-called older age, like. Um, and um, they can um, get faster in older age. Um, Kevin was not a fast guy. Like he was, he ran. With, with when I start when I started with him, um, he was more an eleven twenty guy, one hundred meters, right? And, um, and 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 that was a problem because very good technically, but and he was already kind of well. He was 23 years old, but you know, getting faster at that age, it's already people are starting to say, well, you know, he's been in track and field for a long time and stuff. But he had some some limitations. He had some limitations. He had a problem with his back. He had problem with his uh, with ankles. Um, so you know, as you work on this and you clean the pattern and you feed him the right um, uh, the right type of stimulus for what he needs, either maybe eat uh, more speed, more acceleration, blah blah blah, and then you know what he. He runs now in 1060s. You know, he ran a 385, uh, uh, sorry, three, a 685, 60 meter with, um, which is not extraordinary, but it's a decathlete, 685, but with a, you know, almost 200 millisecond um, reaction time. So potentially much faster um, while being quite tired at the, uh, at the World Championship um, this past uh, March. So for me, that would be it. It, it would be the, for most people, as you see them run, you say like, okay, you cannot do this because of that compensation pattern. Maybe it, a shoulder, maybe a knee, an ankle, you know, whatever. But that, that's the reason why people stall, I think, for most people. Yeah. If they're the classic fast guy, you know, is the classic fast guy. And, and, and that, that's the track guy because for sports like uh, field sports, most of the very good field sports will be better at um, acceleration rather than like speed, you know. And and you'll have some very good guys in, in football that can that can accelerate in the first meters with the best sprinters. You'll have that. You'll find it. 
Um, but then afterwards, you know, it's just they get blown out of the water afterwards, right? So for these guys, um, you'll still go for the compensation pattern, but then what you feed them in terms of um, of the kind of, uh, of, of stimulation, neural stimulation you need to give them is different. That might not be heavyweight lifting. That might not work with them, for example. They might be maxed out on that quality. And then what you do is that you keep assessing because the need keep changing. You keep assessing the need and, and changing the stimulation over and over and over again. And just you keep on getting faster. And at the same time, cleaning the compensation pattern, the new one that comes in, because it's like a, you know, because it seems to be, always be something. <laughs> yeah. And you keep cleaning that and feeding the right stimulus, and then you keep on getting faster. Yeah, yeah, rather than getting stuck in one kind of almost mode of movement. Right. At a young age, you'd be right. able to keep keep kind of throwing that off. I, with Kevin, do you um, have? I mean, obviously, he's just getting better and better. Have you? What's like the role of uh, maximal strength or, or barbell strength with him as you've worked with him and he's seen success in his older years? Um, he actually needed some initially. Uh, he needed some. Um, he was uh, he was doing some, but the thing is because of his injuries and he couldn't get into the right position to really benefit from them. Um, so he, he actually needed some, he was, uh, he was not very good at accelerating at first. So, um, I got him to, uh, to first be able to do the exercises, right? Because that's, that's one big issue with uh, weightlifting in general. I mean, a squat is not a squat. A deadlift is not a deadlift. It's, it's all in the way that you do them that you'll get a transfer or not. I think mm-hmm. I, I wrote an article for, for Charles Poliquin on his website about that. Um, so to me, if you want to have some kind of transfer um, with the exercise, there's, there's a way to do it. Uh, you know, there's a way to do it. Like, well, we can talk about that, but uh, like, if, if you take the squats, I mean, I don't care about, I don't care about the weight on the, Maybe heresy, but the weight in the barbell really—it's not that important, okay? Especially compared to somebody else, compared to you with the same pattern and means of execution, then it matters, right? Compared to you yesterday, but the the weight in the barbell itself doesn't matter. It's really the way you do it. So, and that, that's a problem in college sports, by the way. That's <clears> whole <throat> other. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> I, know, I hear you so just being in through how you do it being in the right position and then having a maximal intent to the to move the bar would those be the main things yeah for example maximum intent to move the bar sometimes you can vary speeds too also is something I learned from Charles and sometimes you want to go slow with the bar it, for athletes it's, it's not very very often but for example I did it with Kevin like we did um, snatch grip deadlifts uh, with with a slow concentric at first because I really wanted to stress his um, his spine, you know, his, his extension because you know in the start uh, his legs would override his spine and that would that would cause him to just shoot up hmm. because he could he couldn't hold he couldn't hold the position the low position because his spine wasn't strong enough for example that was one of the early early work so um, so for example I wanted to stress it right. So, you know, I give him a five-second concentric, for example, for a little while. Then, of course, we changed. Uh, but it's always within within a pattern. Like, for example, if we did that deadlift and, and I saw that his, his, um, 
his hips were rising much faster, were rising faster in his head. I was like, oh, last rip, you finished, you know? Yeah, no, I, I think that's awesome stuff. I'm sure I could go on forever about this, but uh, I know our, our, our time is kind of coming to an end here. I, I had seen, I wanted to say too, I had seen similar results doing like slow concentric. The only time I ever did slow concentric tempo squats in my life, I did it for about four weeks because of a back injury, but my standing vertical jump went up an inch lifetime PR. I was like, where did this come from? It was lightweight too. I'm like, I'm not squatting heavy. Like I'm, <laughs> something's going on here. Um, I think that's that's really cool stuff, and I'm sure we could probably talk for much longer yeah. on it. Uh, you know, it's just the universe of it is so so huge. But uh, thank you for your time so much today, Jerome. I, I really appreciate it. Really appreciate well, you, you waking up, waking up early, uh, and uh, and making this connection happen. I, I just so so good to hear from you on all these topics. Well, thank you. Well, that's it for another episode of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. 92 is over, and I hope you enjoyed that with Jerome Simeon. Uh, amazing coach, amazing source of knowledge. It's just really cool to see like, someone whose mentor has two giants in the field and how that's funneled down into training processes. And I tell you what, I went, went right into the weight room the next couple of days after, and I had all those things in mind, and it really gave me some great new things to think about as I went through my day-to-day uh, training with my athletes and even my own personal training. It was really uh, fantastic. And so I really hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, we will be back next week with another great guest. In the meantime, please visit our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, suppliers of high-end training technology, K-Box, Gym Aware, free lap timing system, and more. Uh, also, if you get a chance, please uh, leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever you happen to be listening to the podcast. Uh, we'd really appreciate it. We'll see you all next week.